0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us um, today. You should have received a program on the way into the service. I want to invite you to take that out with me for a moment. On the right side, on the inside there, is a welcome slip attached to that. And so you can go ahead and tear that off. If you are a first or second time guest with us this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you. You can share with us as much information on that welcome slip as you feel comfortable sharing uh, there's a place for you to share any prayer requests that you might have. If you didn't have an opportunity to come to the front for prayer, there's something uh, that God's prompting you to pray for. You can share that at the bottom, that welcome slip, and we can pray for you on the upcoming week. Now, on the inside of your program, you'll find a whole list of some exciting things that are happening here at Springbrook as we move towards the end of the year, towards the year 2020. I can't believe it's getting that close. 2020 is coming. We have uh, two more weeks of our Advent series. We have our Christmas Eve series, our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a candlelight uh, service right here Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We're going to have a special time for that. I know Michelle right now is uh, praying for families that might be able to watch some kids. And so if you want to help out uh, at the Christmas Eve service, uh, springbrook.org slash help. I know Michelle would love the opportunity to talk with you about that. But it's been so fun and exciting to see uh, how God has been at work Uh, through this series as we've been spending um, time um, together. We have, uh, last week I talked about our Advent calendar, and so um, all of my candy is about half gone. In fact, I I ate one this morning. Uh, When I opened it up, I thought, you know, uh, as I got older, you know, there's 60 calories in one of those things. And so uh, I'll probably eat another one right before the second service. It's just been fun. So in my house growing up as a kid, this would have been empty by now. My mom would have to hide them for us because we'd be eating all the candy. As you get older, that just seems to kind of kind of sit there off to the side. You really don't do much with it. But it's kind of like a bonus because you remember you get like two or three pieces, right? So we are in an Advent series, and uh, we have uh, two more weeks before Christmas is coming. And so, uh, man, it is coming fast, isn't it? I know that uh, Christmas is uh, a lot of stuff that can distract us. There's a lot of shopping that needs to happen um, we've got uh, you know, just a lot of things that happen. Hopefully you've been able to time, find some time uh, to step back and to, and to pause and to reflect and to get some rest. And so I know many of you have already picked up uh, this Pauses for Advent um, Christmas devotional. So if you haven't, we still have some of these at the Ministry Center. In fact, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, you can go by the guest services desk. We'll have one of these for you for being our guest uh, this morning. But this has been a great resource to kind of help us focus on Advent, what it means as we head towards um, Christmas, um, because it's really easy to get distracted, isn't it? I know uh, shopping is a, an important topic. How many of you have been shopping already? You've been doing some Christmas shopping? How many of you wait to the last minute? <laughs> I have a friend of mine uh, I grew up with that would go shopping on Christmas Eve uh, every year. He'd buy everything for everybody at the last minute. So people approach the holiday a little bit different. Um, I do not like to shop. I just have a hard time. It's painful for me. I love the grocery store. I will walk through a grocery store all day long. But when it comes to buying clothes and trying clothes on and thinking of ideas for gifts, it's just, oh, my brain vapor locks. And so uh, I don't like to get caught up in the, in the electronic, you know, culture that we're in, but I do like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I have to confess that. it is so fun just to kind of look through stuff. You get some of the most great deals and you don't have to go out. In fact, I got this sweater. It was a $139 sweater. It comes from a name-brand thing. It's got, it's got patches on it, so apparently that makes it really valuable. And I got it for like $25 or something. It was like 90% off, and it showed up at my door. And so I was like, now that's my kind of shopping. Now I feel guilty because I have to shop local, too. My wife works at a consignment store a reconsignment store for children's uh, clothing. And so we want to support local businesses, but sometimes it's just too good not to snag a deal electronically. And so we've been having a couple of Amazon packages show up at our door. In fact, um, we, several years ago, when we were buying, we didn't buy presents for each other, uh, we needed a TV center. And so we were do- talking about, you know, do you save up a lot? Do you save up money to buy your gifts? Do you go in debt? Do you, you, know, do you charge it? Um, you know So you know, there's a whole whole conversation that happens around Christmas gifts. but one year we had made a decision. Um, instead of buying a new TV center, we were gonna we we're gonna go buy a used one and repurpose it, right? And so we went down to uh, to Goodwill, and there's a TV center uh, sitting on the floor. It's like it's like ten bucks. And uh, uh, I'm thinking, you know, my wife's like, "Oh, well, it'll be great." I'm thinking it's not gonna be great. <laughs> and so I'm looking at this thing, and so I got a picture of it. It's not the before. I couldn't find the exact picture, but this is pretty much the condition that the thing looked like when we bought it. I mean, it was just really in bad shape, and so I'm good. I can use some tools, and so Carolyn and I put this thing together, and uh, at the end of the day, when she got done with it, I'm thinking, I step back. I think, hey, that doesn't look half bad. In fact, when people walk in and they see it, they look at the TV center, and it's like, oh, you got enough money for a TV center. That's pretty interesting, and I have to always explain the story. It's like, well, it was repurposed. It was only $10. You can see our VCR there, just a 20-year-old VCR. I don't even think they make VHS tapes anymore. So there's the VHS tape. So that kind of gives you the condition of our electronics in our house. We do have some, you know, some newer stuff. But for the most part, we have fun repurposing things. It's fun to think about, hey, how cheap can you find something and, and how can you turn it into something more valuable? How can you redeem something that once was trash and re- give it a new purpose? And so we have some fun with that. And so as I was preparing the message this morning on redemption, I couldn't help but think of our furniture. We redeemed a piece of furniture. And to redeem something is to compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something. And so I looked at that piece of furniture, and, man, it it had faults all through it. But it was redeemed in a sense that we compensated for it. We invested in it. We bought it. We invested in it, and we made something new with it. It was a redeemed piece of furniture. You know, to redeem something is to gain possession. We had to buy it in exchange for payment, and we did something to it to make it of more value. That's what it means to redeem something. And This morning we're going to be looking at redemption, and it's an important topic because as Christ followers, we too have been redeemed. God takes a broken up piece of junk, and he repurposes it. He purchases it, purchases us through his son, and he gives us a new purpose. That's what Paul's writing to Titus about. In chapter 2, he says this, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so we have been redeemed. God takes what is broken and busted up and messed up. He buys it and he repurposes us. That's what redemption is about, and that's what the Christmas story is about. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ who came to earth for the purpose of redeeming us and helping us to be a part of God's plan for the world. And so today, we're going to look at why Jesus was born and what it means for us today. Last week, we looked at peace. We looked at the fact that God is faithful. God knows our need. Um, his timing is perfect. And he has a plan. And so we looked at peace that is ours because of who we are in Christ. Today, we want to look at who is Jesus, why was he born, and what does it mean for us today? And so if you brought your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And uh, if you do use the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can search Springbrook uh, under events, and you'll find an outline of our time together as well as the passages uh, it's also a link in our app where you can go to uh, springbrook.org slash notes and you can follow along with our passage uh, as well as look at the different verses we're going to look at um, this morning. But let's read together uh, Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. Matthew has given us the genealogy of Jesus. He has rooted us in the reality uh, that he is the Messiah. And then in verse 18 he says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called His name, Jesus. Let's pray and then we'll look at these lessons that Matthew has for us this morning. Father, I just want to thank you for the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus. Everything hinges on his birth and on his resurrection. And so thank you for your word. I thank you for the faithfulness and the testimony of those that have gone before us. And uh, Lord, this morning I just pray that you'd guard our hearts, our minds, and our eyes uh, for you and for your purposes as we head towards uh, celebrating Christmas. There's so many things. Uh, that compete for our attention, for our time. Uh, God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. I thank you for your word. We lift our time up to you this morning for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those are the words from uh, Paul, uh, from the words from Matthew. And so Matthew has given us the genealogy of Jesus, and this morning he gives us in detail uh, some information about the virgin birth. And one of the things that Matthew wants to do is he wants to root us in this understanding of who Jesus is. And he gives us two clear answers for that in our passage this morning. The first thing that Matthew wants to point us towards is the fact that it is Jesus that saves us from our sin. It is Jesus that will save us from our sin. He's given us the genealogy at the beginning of the verse. He's rooted us in the reality that he is the Messiah. And then he, as he moves in. Uh, to discuss the birth of Christ, he gives us two realities. The first of who Jesus is, is that he saves us from our sin. Now, one of the things I really love about uh, this story in Matthew is I love Joseph. And so there's a couple of different perspectives that we can look at uh, this passage from this morning. Uh, one of the things I was originally looking at was the, just the faith of Joseph. You know, he's got a, a a virgin wife that is pregnant. You know, and I think for me, as I think through that story, Uh, If I had been Joseph, I would have had to stop and reflect on that for a little bit. It's like, hmm, you know, the virgin birth in and of itself is a miraculous story, isn't it? I mean, we have the resurrection. The tomb was empty. Uh, People saw it. There was eyewitnesses. You can't argue with the reality of the empty tomb. But the virgin birth, that's not something that you can visibly attest to, is it? There's trust in that. And it's not until the angel appears to Joseph uh, to reassure him, that he is is uh, okay to marry his wife, uh, what is conceived within her is from the holy Spirit um, and, and Joseph, through this dream, um, has the assurance that God is in fact in this in this work in this plan, and so the faithfulness of Joseph, in my own mind points to the reality of the virgin birth because you know because he believed, I can believe, and so you have the reality of joseph 's faith that points to Uh, the reality of the virgin birth. And then you've got all of the Old Testament prophecies that point to um, the virgin birth. And so the virgin birth is a miraculous event that all scripture points to, and certainly is caused to encourage us and to encourage us in our faith. But this morning, we want to look at what Matthew's perspective is on this, because Matthew is being pretty intentional with what he wants us to get from this story. And the first one is, is the reality that Jesus is going to save us from our sins. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. It says this, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sins. That's the point that Matthew wants us to drive in on. In fact, he is the only one that will make that point. As you read through the other passages, the other gospels, as you read through uh, Luke or John or Mark, it's only here that we find in Matthew the reality that Jesus' name was because he's going to save us from our sins. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name uh, Yahshua, which is a verbal derivative of, of the word that means to rescue or to deliver or to save. And so Jesus' name within that is the context of he is going to save us from our sins. And what sins does he save us from? You know, sin is such a random concept. Sin is something that's usually based on our circumstances. You know, who sinned against us? What's the condition of the sin? And so sin is one of those topics that people have a tendency to contextualize based on their own experience. It's random. You know, we have uh, had property taxes this past month in our township, and I was looking at my new property tax sheet, and I'm looking at the housing value. It didn't go up 10%, 20%, 500 a 1,000% increase. How does that happen? And so I'm getting ready to fill out my taxes in a couple of months, Right? And so when I think about the fairness of my taxes and when I'm filling out and I have to pay more taxes, how easy is it for us to say this is not fair? I'm going to take matters into my own hands and not fill out our taxes correctly. You know, because we justify sin in our own mind. We look for this issue of fairness and we think about our circumstances and we justify our behaviors many times when we in fact are sinning. It's illegal to fill out your taxes incorrectly. We're breaking the law when we do that but we use our circumstances to justify our behavior. And we do that across the board with everything. My sin's not as bad as that person's sin. You know, we have a moving target when it comes to thinking about what sin is. You know, when I was a kid, I was uh, probably... Five years old. I think I was even younger. Now. I was probably four. I can remember stealing a candy bar. My mom was in the checkout lane, and I reached over and I put a candy bar in my pocket. And we got to the car, and she said, "What? What are you eating back there? It's like a candy bar. Where'd you get that?" Oh, I stole it. Oh, we're gonna have to call the cops. I thought I was going to jail. I remember that because I was screaming. I remember jumping from. We didn't have seatbelts in the car at the time. I'm jumping around the car. I thought I was going to jail. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My mom says, it's not me you need to apologize to. You didn't sin against me. And we marched back to the grocery store. And I had to go to the grocery manager and had to say, I am so sorry that I stole the candy bar. So I'll tell you, I'm so sorry I I stole that candy bar. Would you forgive me? You forgive me. Yeah, you know why you forgive me? You don't care. I don't care about the candy bar. That's your problem, right? And so it doesn't do me any good to ask forgiveness for you for something that I sinned against because you have no skin in the game, right? Where'd you park your car? I am so sorry. When I pulled in this morning, <laughs> I hit the side of your car. There's a little dent, but we'll make it, we'll make it all right. Is that, you forgive me for that? You forgive me for that? You're having to think about that one a little bit more, aren't you? Do you know why? Because you got some skin in the game on that one. And so we apologize and we confess and we repent from our sins to all the wrong people. You know, it, it's, a, it's a moving target in our mind when we think about what sin is. And so the Bible says that it's important for us to confess our sins to one another. You know, we need to do that. Um, that's important. But when the Bible talks about sin, he's talking about sin from a godly perspective. It is God that we have sinned against. And you know what? We have all done it. Every single one of us is sinful when we stand before God because he is perfect and we are not. And so the person that we need to repent to, the person that we need to be right with, is God. And so if we sin against each other, we need to confess to one another. It's biblical that we do that. But from a biblical perspective, all have sinned, and all fall short of glory of God. That's what Romans is talking about. Romans chapter 5, is by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, entered into the world, and as a condition that we all suffer from because we are human. Sin entered into the human race, and so it's by one man's disobedience that we're made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. And the, and the sin that the Bible is referring to is from God's perspective. Every one of us has sinned. It's not just based on our circumstances as we live out our faith and live out in this world. We have all sinned and turned our back on God. Every one of us. That's why everything is so messed up in this world. Did you know that the world is messed up and broken? Did you know that? (laughs) When you look around, is there any doubt in your mind that the world is fallen and broken? So if you could just take take a little circle. The world is broken and it's messed up. And every single one of us has experienced that. There is no one that is exempt from the brokenness that we experience in our world. And do you know why that is? All brokenness, all of it, traces back to sin. You see, that was not God's original design. God put Adam in the center of the garden to take care of it, to till it. God's presence was there. He was, God. It was perfect. And he said, don't eat from that tree. Don't eat that fruit. And then Eve was created. was it good for Adam to be left alone. It's a point I like to make every time I get the opportunity. God told Adam not to eat that fruit. Adam didn't lead his family well. He forgot to tell Eve. I don't know what happened, but Satan tempted Eve, tempted Adam, and the whole world fell into sin. It's a condition that every single one of us has been faced with. We all have sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God. But, you know, the good news is this, that God doesn't leave us there. He's got a plan that if we repent and we believe and we place our faith in him, the good news is is that we can be saved, we can be rescued, and we can begin to pursue and recover God's original design for us. And so we need to understand the sin from God's perspective is that we all suffer from that condition. Jesus Christ came to save us, and he has that ability because he, in fact, is God. Jesus saves us from our sin, and he's only able to do that because of his deity and because of who he is. And Matthew hones in on the fact and actually says, Name him Jesus because he's going to save us from our sin. It's the only time in the New Testament that we get to see the reason why his name is named that. All the other gospels talk about Jesus and the fact that he does save us from our sins. You know, Mark. Mark chapter 1, it says in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written by Isaiah the prophet, he will prepare a way that's going to be made straight for us. He's talking to John. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus, who is going to reconcile us to God. He's going to be our Lord. And so Mark talks about Jesus' deity from one perspective. In the book of Luke, um, Luke will say, For unto you in this day in the city of David is a Savior born who is the Christ, who is the Messiah. And at the end of eight days, he's going to be circumcised, and his name will be called Jesus. And so he gets named, John chapter 1. Jesus is the true light, which he gives to light the world. They light up for everyone. He's coming into the world so that we might know who he is and who God is. But it's only in the book of Matthew where we see him established in his name from the reality that he is going to save us from our sins. You know, Matthew has established Jesus as the promised Messiah through this lineage, through the line of Abraham and of David. And he wants to make sure that we understand that this is the guy that we're waiting for. And then as you move into the birth, he wants to make the point that Jesus is the one who's going to save us from our sins. Matthew is the only one who defines Jesus in that way, who defines the name of Jesus, and then also gives us the definition of the fact that he is called Emmanuel. That's the second point that Matthew wants to drive home. Jesus saves us from our sins, and Jesus is God. It's the only time that the word Emmanuel appears in the New Testament is when Matthew uses it in reference to Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God. As you read through in verse 23, he says this, Behold, the virgin shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Definition, which means... God is with us. This is the only time that this appears in the New Testament. And Matthew uses it with the express purpose to make sure that we understand that Jesus saves us from our sin and that he is, in fact, God. And the reason that that is important is because it is God that we have sinned against. Our reconciliation, our redemption comes through understanding our condition and our situation before a living God that is holy and just, and perfect. And Matthew wants to drive that point home in his identity of our understanding who Jesus is. It is God that we have sinned against, and it is from him that we need forgiveness. You know, one of my uh, favorite stories, I've got a lot of favorite stories, and so I, this is one of my but I, This is a favorite story. In the book of Mark, there's a man, he's lame, can't walk. It's got some friends that have heard that Jesus is, uh, is healing people. So they put him on his mat, and they take him to Jesus, and they can't get to him because there's so many people around Jesus. They just can't get to him. And so they take him around the, the side of it, the, and they walk up, and they get on the top of the roof, and they start digging through the ceiling. And, and, and imagine if you're sitting here, all of a sudden stuff just starts falling on your head. I mean, they're in the middle. Jesus is in the middle of teaching, and stuff's falling on the crowd, and all of a sudden this little guy comes lowered down. I mean, can you imagine a guy just getting lowered down? Boof, there he's right there. And Jesus stops, and he looks over, and he sees the guy, and he goes, ah, Your sins are forgiven. Well, that's great. That's not what I was here for. I was kind of hoping i get to walk. And so Jesus is looking at it and says, Well, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up from your mat and walk? Which one of those is easier? So that you might believe, stand up from your mat and walk. God gets up and walks. That's, that's the miracle. What's, where's the miracle here? Where's the miracle? the fact that our sins are forgiven and that we've got a God that loves us in spite of the fact that we're fallen and broken and messed up, or is it the miracle that I get to walk for another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years how long we live? It's a miracle that God cares for us enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. That's the miracle. The miracle is that God humbled himself, Jesus being fully God, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant and was born in a manger. That's the miracle. Jesus is God. And that's foundationally important because if he's not God, then his his death on the cross is not sufficient to pay for our sins because it's God that we have sinned against. Do you see where that works? It is vitally important to understand that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a moral teacher. He is God incarnate. And that's what we celebrate at at Christmas, that Jesus has been born, that he he is with us. He is God. He is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Mark 2.7 says this. When Jesus said that, the Pharisees picked up on what he had said. The Pharisees understood what Jesus meant. Why is Jesus speaking like that? He's what? He's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Pharisees understood the fullness of what Jesus was claiming. I talk to people all the time. Well, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that he's God. Well, true. I can't find that quote, but I'm telling you, if he's not God, then you're still dead in your sins and you're stuck. In fact, if he's not gone, this whole thing, this circle thing, it just goes away. I mean, we're not reconciled to God. We can't pursue God's perfect design for us. And guess what? We're stuck in our brokenness. If Jesus is not God, then we are still in a pickle. We're still stuck because it's only if he is God that we can find forgiveness. It is critically and vitally important that we understand who Jesus is. He saves us from our sins and he is God incarnate. And that is critically important if we're going to understand how to have a relationship with him. God's forgiveness comes through Jesus. Jesus. If he's not God, we're still in trouble. This is gone, and we, we really are going to have to find a different solution. But the reality is this. He did rise from the grave. He is God. He proved he is who he said he was. He got, he got sent to the cross because he claimed to be God. That's why he was crucified, was that he claimed to be God. And Matthew wants to root us in the reality of understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, that he saves us from our sins, and that he is God. It's important. He's given us the genealogy. He's given us the reality. And so now what does that mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, number one, we need to be saved. We need to be saved. Jesus saves. That's an offer. But we need it. And so you might be here this morning, you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds interesting. I have conversations, and as I'm sure many of you do, when we're talking with people, especially at Christmas, this is the season that we all have permission to talk about Jesus. Can we just say that? He is the reason for the sticker. It's a nice, cute little bumper sticker, but it's true. It's a great opportunity for us to be talking about our faith in a community that otherwise is lost and has questions and doesn't understand. The majority of people in our culture... Don't understand this. And we've been entrusted with this great news to help them to understand who Jesus is. That's what Christmas is all about. Are you buying, what what kind of presents are you buying? Well, I'm not buying a whole lot of presents, but man, I am excited about who I am in Christ. Sounds kind of strange to say that, but it's a great answer. Try that in a grocery store, I don't know. There's people that have questions about who Jesus is, and maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you have questions about who Jesus is. You're here and you're thinking, hey, that makes sense. Sounds interesting. Maybe it makes sense if you're just not quite sure what to do. You know, maybe you've known this. Maybe you've made a faith commitment. You've been a Christian for a few years, and you think, yeah, this sounds familiar. Uh, maybe you've known this for 50 years. <laughs> People are all at different places. Every one of us is at different places spiritually. But you know what? We are all in the same boat conditionally. We're all still sinners. That's the thing that we all share in common. That's why we need Jesus. Romans chapter 3 reveals the situation for us. There's a righteousness of God that has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. That's the reality. And then he says this in verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. You know, did you get that? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat. We're in the same situation. We're in the same condition. We all need a Savior. Some people have accepted that and have been saved. And some people are thinking, hey, I'm not quite sure what to do next. Some people just need to make a faith commitment and say, hey, I, I want this, but I'm not quite sure how to, how to do that. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. You know, we are all at different places spiritually, but we are in the same boat conditionally. And so the question is, is you know, what do we do about the situation? What does the reality about who Christ is have to do with us you know i 'm glad that uh, that we have an opportunity to come together to encourage one another to sharpen one another and uh, but I think that there's a tendency for us when we 're looking around to say i'm glad i 'm not as bad as so and so and you know we 're all in the same boat i 'm glad i'm'm I'm glad i 'm not like Hitler, well yeah, you are. <laughs> You know, I think there's a difference. There's people that are incarcerated and they're in jail. And you know why they're in jail? Because they got caught. You know, the reality is is that if God looked down on us, we'd all be thrown in jail. It's Jesus that gets us out. We're all in the same condition. We're all messed up. You know, there's an analogy that uh, there's something about, there, there's there's things that we think of that uh, are dirty. And so whenever I think about dirtier germs, it, First thing that comes to mind is when, when I cough, there's germs in your mouth. And so spit, and then there's, you know, poop, which just always is something that there's a couple of jokes about, well, we'll put some poop in your brownies. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was uh, letting the dogs in last night, and, and uh, one of the dogs came in. And sure enough, they had stepped in something out of the backyard, so they come in. I wasn't sure if it was mud, you know, because it was muddy out there. Or it, was, it was stepped in their own poop. I don't know what was going on. So anyway, I stopped them, and so I was wiping up the dog's foot, and I got a towel on them. I'm wiping it off, and so the dog comes running through the house. And Carolyn walked down. and She goes, "What are you doing?" I said, well, I, The dog stepped in something. She goes, "Get some alcohol! You can't just use a towel!" <laughs> and she was going nuts. I was like, "Pooping that? Don't you know how many germs are?" The baby's coming over tomorrow. I don't want that baby walking through poop. There, you can, I'm looking down at the floor. I'm thinking it's a white floor. I'm thinking, "Well, it looks pretty clean to me." There's germs in it. <laughs> I know there's germs in it. That's what sin is. It's a germ. And we've all got it. And the only solution is found in who Christ is. You know, we all need to be saved. There's no distinction. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And there are are people that are all different places with that. You know, I think that it's easier to talk to people that have not made a faith commitment because there's clarity. I have not made that decision. I have questions. Can you help me? But then there's dynamics where, People like me growing up thought I was a good Christian, thought I was okay because I went to church because I was a good guy, and, but couldn't talk to anybody about our relationship with Christ. You know, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus. He roots us in the reality of Jesus. Then he gives us some warnings as you continue to read through Matthew. In chapter 7, verse 21, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. There are some people that think they're right before God and think they have a relationship with Christ, but they don't. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. My biggest concern, the biggest struggle is talking to people that think they're right with Christ but aren't sure. And so there is no gray area in this. You either have made a faith commitment or you have not. And so the most difficult conversations are to have with people that think they're okay, but they're really not. That's the hardest conversation to have because they justify their behavior. They look, they're not as bad as the next person, and they think about sin, not from the perspective of our standing before God, but relationally as we relate just to other people. Matthew warns us, look, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. The reality is, is that it's only through Christ that we have that assurance of spending eternity in heaven. The other reality is that we're going to spend eternity apart. And so each of us must get to the point that we have individually confessed our faith in belief in Christ. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be saved. From what? From this fallen and broken world and this condition, this separation that you have between you and God. And the body of Christ is how we relate to each other and how we celebrate this reality. As we move towards Christmas together, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate the fact that we have a Savior that was given us. On this day, the Savior was born, and that's what we celebrate. God came to save us from our sin. That was the first solution to understanding what we're to do with Jesus. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to live, live differently. The fact that Jesus is God, that he saves us from our sin, and that we have a relationship with him means that we need to live differently. There should be something different about us when we come to faith in Christ, shouldn't there? You know, I think as you look around at the condition of the church and as you think about what's happening from a cultural perspective, sometimes I think Christians just need to get themselves out of the way and point other people to Christ. <laughs> you know, there's, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Or I don't, you know, sometimes we are just not the best role model for people around us. And we need to be. We need to live differently as a result of who God has called us to be. That's why God redeemed us. That's why he gave us his spirit so that there would be something different about us that other people would be attracted to. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was for the sanctification of the believers, but it was also for those that would believe in him through them. And so God has a purpose for us, and that's why he called us into a relationship with himself. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing. He says this. You, he says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, that you have had, that you have from God. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit is external in the life of someone that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. When you ask Christ to come into your life, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and he is in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who you have from God? You are what? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So what? So that you could glorify God with your body. There should be something different about us. It's not that we're just claiming to, hey, I know where I'm going to heaven. Now I get to do what I want. There should be something different about that way that we live our life out in light of who we are. And we have an opportunity to do that as we move towards the Christmas season and share with people around us. Every person that has a relationship with Christ is a walking miracle. You know, we have an opportunity to share with people around us what God is doing in our life. We have been bought at a price. We're not our own. And God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. The Bible says that every believer has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You know, when I think about my finances, I want to be a good steward with my finances. When I look through Scripture, this book is filled with ways of how I can live out my life to bring God glory. I can tell you I need practice on some of them. You know, We have been bought at a price. We are not our own, and God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. We have been saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has called us into a relationship with himself so that we can bring him glory and live for him Matthew roots Jesus' identity as the Messiah. He roots us in the reality that Jesus is God and that He saves us from our sins. And so if I was going to summarize our time together this morning, we need to walk away from here knowing that Jesus is God. We need to walk away from here knowing that it is him and in him alone that we are saved from our sin, the condition that every one of us faces. What it means for us is that we need to be saved and we need to live differently. And so the next question that you have to ask yourself is, okay, well, what do I do to live differently? And so I'm making some recommendations and I've got five next steps that I'd like to suggest to you that would be beneficial as you think about how to live your faith out. And we've been looking at these for the last three weeks and the more I think about it, they're just, they're not gonna go away because this is what we're about. (laughs) That's why we exist is to help people to grow in their faith. And, you know, if I was sitting where you were sitting right now, and somebody said to me, hey, which one of these next steps would be good for you, I would circle number five, because I still need to share my faith with other people. You know, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know how to share my faith. Circle number five will help you figure out how to share your faith. We'll help you put together a testimony. We'll put you in contact with other people that have questions. Every one of us can circle number five. You know, it's funny, I've got people that I've invited to church for the last ten years. You know what happens after ten years? I get tired of inviting them. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to dust my feet off and go to the next house. But you know what? God keeps bringing them back into my path. And so there's people that I've been, been inviting to church for the last 10 years. It's really easy for me to give up asking. They've told me no so many times, I'm not going to ask again. Those are the ones that I should be praying for. And so I'm in circle number five. I say, man, pray for me to have opportunities to share my faith with this person. Every one of us has an opportunity to pray that God would help us to be effective at sharing our faith with other people. That's a great next step for you. And if you'll circle that, we'll pray with you as we move towards Christmas. Pray that God would open up doors for you to have opportunities to share what you have with people around you. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they just don't feel like they're connected to church. I was talking with uh, somebody a couple weeks ago and I hadn't seen them in a while. It's like, I just don't feel connected. It's like, man, I'd love to help you get connected. You know, we've got small groups. We've got, you can serve with other, you know, you have a spiritual gift if you're a believer. You know, you've been given a spiritual gift for building up the body of Christ uh, and if you're not serving in ministry, it's great to serve with other people. You get to make friends. You get to serve together. You have fun together. You know, um, we want to help you get connected to this church. If you're not yet a member of Springbrook, we want to encourage you to be a member so that you can understand our vision and our mission, and so you, you can say, hey, I want to be a part of what God's doing in this community and in this body of Christ. We want to help people get connected. And so if you're not a member of Springbrook or you want to know how to get connected, you can circle number number four. I know that number three, that 50% of the people at Springbrook can circle because I know who's in a group and who's not. You know, if you're not in a small group at Springbrook, you are missing at a minimum 50% of why this church exists. I'd say it's higher. I was going to say 75%. I kind of waffle around on a little bit. I love Sunday morning. I love seeing. I am so encouraged by looking out and seeing people. I just get encouraged. I know it's encouraging to see other people here. I love I love teaching, I love singing, I love worshiping, but there is something about who we're called to be together in the context of smaller groups. I don't get to say hello to everybody that are here on Sunday morning, and sometimes people are in a hurry, they're they're not able to get connected because they have to get to the next thing. Relational connections don't happen while we're sitting here on Sunday morning. They might happen if I got here earlier, I'm serving in the cafe, or if I'm serving in children's ministry, they're going to get together and pray, and so there's some connectedness there, but Right now, everybody that's serving in children's ministry, they're working, man. They're watching kids. <laughs> or you might be on the first impressions team. If you're handing out a bulletin, you're know, you might you're connected, but you know, have you ever tried to stop and talk to somebody that's handing out a bulletin in the service? You've probably got five people behind you that are trying to get in, and you know, I'm handing out bulletins. If I'm handing out bulletins, I can't talk to people like I want to. And so I can serve together. I'm a part of a team. And so we get our leaders together routinely to pray for and encourage Uh, Our leaders, our our ministry teams get together routinely to equip and encourage one another. Our small groups get together routinely to build relationships and study the Bible and encourage one another. Being connected is vitally important to why this church exists. And if you're not in a small group, you know, join one as we get into the new year. We're going to be talking about small groups. And if you've been in the same group for five years, can I just encourage you, talk to your small group leader about starting a new group. Because we can't get 200 people into our existing groups, can we? We have half of our groups right now are packed to the rim. I've got one group has got, I think it's like 10 couples in there, 10 kids. I've got 20 people at their house. And so when I talk to somebody about, hey, why don't you join this group? They're like, no, don't send any more people. <laughs> but I've got 200 people that are not experiencing the fullness of what you have. How do we make this work? And so if you're in a small group right now, pray as we move into the next year about hosting your own group. Help us get other people connected to a small group. You know, we uh have the opportunities for people to get baptized. We've had, uh, over the last couple weeks, several people have asked about baptism. We're going to be scheduling our next baptism. You know, there's something about the power of the Holy Spirit. When you publicly confess your faith in Christ and you get baptized, the Holy Spirit was already in you, but there's something about that act of obedience and publicly confessing that's just going to unleash your faith in a fresh new way. This morning, if you cannot say with clarity that I know for a fact I have a relationship with Christ, then that's your next step. Jesus came to save your sin, save you from your sins. He is God. He's in a position to do it. And you need to ask Christ to come into your life to save you and to be your Lord so you can have the assurance that the rest of us have. Every one of us has an opportunity for a next step. So I want to encourage you just to kind of prayerfully think about what that might look like for you. Our sisters are going to come forward in just a few moments, and we're going to collect our tithes and offerings. I would like to get those welcome slips from you. If you need some more time, if you have some more questions, please let us know. I would love the opportunity to talk with you about your next steps. But let's be praying as we move towards Christmas that God would give us a renewed sense of his spirit in our life To keep our focus on him as we celebrate the fact that he saved us from our sins. He is God and he's given us a new purpose for our life. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today and I thank you for that hope that we do have in Christ. I thank you for this season that we're in that we can step back um, to uh, refocus and to reflect um, it 's also a time that we 're trying to figure out how to buy gifts for family and who 's going to go to grandma 's house and and uh, you know we 're all at different places with the holidays, but God help us to be able to step back and find rest in this period. Um, God uh, help us to be able to take your yoke upon us, give us rest. I know that there 's many people here this morning that have lost family members or loved ones, and there 's just a period of hurt and pain. I pray that you would meet them where they 're at as well. Um, God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. Uh, to study your word, to worship you, and and to celebrate uh, who we are in Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our shows are going to come forward now. We want to collect our tithes and offerings as well as uh, we want to get those welcome slips uh, from you. I wanted to share something with you as we uh, head into the holidays. I got uh, an an email last night from uh, one of the missionaries that we have a relationship with in Nepal. And um, I just, I had to share that with you. He says this. I have completed a week long missions trip from November 26th to December 5th. He's celebrating Christmas and he understands that this is a missions work. (laughs) And so he's out telling people about Christ. God has provided wonderful grace and miracles on this trip. Gospel seeds were planted to 69 people I had an opportunity to share with. 11 people got saved and four people got baptized. Isn't that amazing? Demons were casted away. people got healed, and finally we made a safe journey, and we got back home, and it has remained fruitful. My feet and my body have some pain, but I have great joy in my heart. Isn't that great. I appreciate your continuing prayers and your partnership for our ministry in Nepal. The father's kingdom is extending all glory to Christ. That is a great Christmas message. That's my prayer for our church, because we don't need to go to Nepal to be missionaries. We could be missionaries right here at home. And this is a picture of uh, Deepak, him walking through the jungle. Um, he's got a little gospel tract that he's uh, sending out and some people he's sharing with. And uh, so it's a privilege for us just to be able to pray and be partners with uh, the Timothy Initiative and the work that God's doing in India and Nepal and around the world. Um, we have uh, our website, springbrook.org slash Um, How many of you you knew Deepak? Does anybody know that we supported a missionary over in uh, Nepal? Very few people know that. We've got our missions website. Um, You go to our Facebook page, you can join our missions group. But one of the reasons why you don't know about our missionaries is because we really don't have any place where we're communicating that, do we? And so as a part of our year-end offering we introduced last weekend, one of the things that we're praying for, that God would fund our year in offering so that we can accomplish communicating better our pathway. One of the things that we want to do is be able to have people walk through the lobby or down the hall, be able to see where all of our missionaries are and share these kind of stories. And so we're raising $3,500 so that we can be more clear about our pathway, our discipleship pathway, about helping people understand their next steps and so that they can see where we're where our missions are being active, and so you know, our website's great and our Facebook page is right. But it would be so nice for people to be able to walk in and say, Wow, look what God is doing in and through this ministry around the world! So, a portion of our year end offering is going to go to our pathway and to our missions uh, efforts um, as we think about you know, the pathway portion of that. And then for our, our worship, um, we want, we're, we're hoping for $6,500 so we can get a new baptismal so we can get the thing plumbed and the electric put in. I had somebody already asked me about the plumbing piece of that. We need to get some equipment um, for our worship team. We want to create a space where people can come in and engage, you know, um, in a worshipful environment. And so baptisms is something that we can certainly want to celebrate. And so we're looking for $6,500 for our worship space and then for the doors, um, our exterior doors are hanging on a thread. Some of those are um, about ready to, we need to fix our buildings. So we need to invest in that. And I talked to one of our seniors, by the way, in that uh, $10,000 for our exterior doors. Um, I'm hoping we would have the uh, a little bit of flexibility in that. If this gets fully funded, um, we'll have an opportunity to put um, uh, maybe a handicap door on this side exit because we have several people I know have asked about that as well. And so we want to be good stewards with the finances that God's entrusted to our care. Um, we want to make sure that um, we're being effective witnesses in our community for Christ. We want to be good stewards um, with the facility God's entrusted to our care. So if you could just be uh, praying for us as we move towards the end of the year. If you want to know more about these initiatives, you go to springbrook.org slash year end. Um, we've got some information for you there as well. But I want to thank you for being with us uh, today. I hope you have a great afternoon. I'm looking forward to all that God has for us as we move towards uh, this new year. Just stand and let's sing this last song together.